So, you're a musician. Each week, we're going to discuss survival within the music industry. We'll chat to professionals who can help us and you find a way. Talking about things like how to get a job, what's the point in networking? <laughs> Staying sane. <laughs> that as well, yeah. So if you're lost and not sure what to do next, welcome to the club and welcome to the Open Bat Podcast. So, podcast number one. Here podcast we are. number one. Will, how are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. It's a weird one because while we've been like going through like the procedures of setting up this podcast, we've like been refusing adamantly to talk to each other. Oh yeah, no, no. For the for the last like <laughs> month, we've spoken. We haven't spoken about music at all because all the things we've had, like I've had some gigs and festivals. Tristan's had some bits and bobs which I don't know about. Um, but he he assures me that he's done some stuff. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to hearing about that. I think we should quickly start by introducing ourselves. So my name is Will. Um, I've this year just graduated from Elcom. Uh, Tristan? Yeah, so I'm Tristan. I graduated a year before Will. We did live together um, and we yes. both studied the, the same course, however, just one year apart um, while we were up at university. And yeah, I've been out in the wild, if you like, of the music industry for a year. Uh, and you're relatively new. I am. I am. I, full I, of I, ambition. I, I'm fresh to this, which is kind of the point of this podcast in many ways. Um, just to give you guys a little bit of background. What we're doing is we are going to be doing a weekly podcast where we discuss... Um, trying to find our feet in the music industry and trying to sort of talk that through in an open way. Um, I think lots of musicians, when they finish uni, they go into quite a close, they kind of close themselves off from other people. They try to do it all themselves and hope that it's just going to work out. Um, I mean, so far that hasn't worked for me. So we're going to try something new and we're going to be a little bit more open, have a weekly conversation and see where that goes. On that note, it's a, it's a weird one because so many people come out of university and I think uh, all go into university or just like branch off into like a creative industry and they have that sort of ambition of how to do it. I liken it's like when I was doing GCSE art even, you had like your symbolic end of goal project and then you had to almost backtrack to try and work your way towards that project. And it's, it's weird finding yourself in a, in a creative environment where you have a goal in mind but your way of getting there is just so different and everyone's way of where they ended up may have not even been their end goal but they've just sort of branched off and everyone can come into the music industry with that kind of like dogmatic approach to it so that like I do it my way I know which way it's going to work out and so many times it just doesn't sort of work out so Will what have you done since graduating? Um, I've been gigging a lot with a band called Wink um I've known this band for a long time. Actually, when I was younger, in like sixth form and later years of secondary school, they were the uh, they were the rival band back in back in St Albans. I played in a band called Enzo the Cat and um, Wink. Well, that's Wink spelled with two eyes. If you want to go and check them out, shameless plug. Um, they cloud. It's a banger. Yeah, and um, they that band was made up of some of uh, some of my friends. Um, and, and we, you know, we used to battle other bands and stuff against each other, but then they went off to uni, they stayed together and the band that I was with didn't. And in recent uh, months, they've asked me to start playing lead guitar with them, uh, primarily to free up Sir Seb, who's the, who's the vocalist and was before the, um, the only guitarist, uh, to allow him to kind of go out on his own a bit more and spend a, put a little bit more focus on the vocals. So we've been doing that. We've been doing, um, festivals and stuff. How about you? Um, yeah, I actually wanted to ask you a question on that, but we'll come back around to it maybe a bit later. So for me, um, graduating last year, I, I was really lucky. Um, I kind of had a position where I could move to London pretty early on. A really close friend of mine offered me up a room. She's a, a, amazing. So um, I would you know we wouldn't mention too many names in this podcast, but I love Olga to pieces. So Olga let me live with her. Um, for that, I wanted a job. 
Um, I thought, well, if I'm going to live in London, even though I'm really fortunate in the situation of living wise, I am going to still need money. And I'm, I, I think I'm quite an ambitious person. Yep, I like I to think I can back myself. I like to make money in my life and not just spend my life on a couch. Um, so I wanted a job. Uh, I just searched and searched through Indeed, to be fair, at the start of it. I was looking for, I knew I wasn't going to walk into what I wanted, which was like session musician work. I knew that was going to take years and years to build up. Sure. Uh, I thought, as a lot of people do, do teaching wise and we're going to cover a lot of things we'll probably come back to very quickly but just as like a, a broad catch-up I, I thought teaching wise would be kind of like the answer mm -hmm. and I thought that we were I would be able to land myself a little teaching gig straight out of university and maybe one of the councils in South London and that okay. way be able to branch it through I kind of got interest here and there but the agency work that sort of popped up was so sporadic in nature that they were going to be like well can you do a school in Morden this weekend can you do right four people's houses but they're in South Croydon and then can you drive all the way to Kent in Seven Oaks and then teach like a school for four students and that way it, I kind of like did the maths of it and I'm like there is no money to be made in this no. at all um and so I kind of thought I'd already set up the online thing so I was like I'll leave that to kind of naturally grow uh, and then I went and found a job fantastically with Sofa Sounds there was a guy called Dave who was working as crops manager at the time he was a legend he got me on board really really fast uh, really looked after me, gave me loads and loads of work with Sofa Sounds. Um, for those of you who don't know, Sofa Sounds is like a hipster. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to edit hipster out. <laughs> We're leaving it in. Authentic. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Sofa Sounds, um, I should know this, it's a spiel you've got to set up. It's basically two guys that set up these intimate gigs that was based in London. It's now in like 400 cities all around the world. It's a really, really good way of networking it's a really really good way of getting involved in the music industry if you're an artist playing for sofa sound it's considering it's considered you're doing really really well and you're sort of up and coming uh and if you're working for sofa sounds and you're not sure but you just want to get more involved in the music industry it's fantastic normally the jobs you get as crew you do mc roles so that's what i did a lot of which was public speaking sort of esque introducing the bands stuff like that and liaising with them you do lead which is like the setup for the venues, getting everything right. And these are like little tiny gigs where everyone sort of turns up. And then the other option is just support. You do support the start. So it's kind of like an, uh, an events management role? Yeah, exactly right. It is very similar to like getting a agency job at like an O2 Academy where you just hand out tickets. Okay, cool. At right, the beginning right. of the day. But there's more scope because there's only a three man crew at these events. Okay. There's more scope to sort of get more experience involved and you're much closer to the artist so you can always chat to the artist. So right. it's, it's really worth getting involved with, I think. And I suppose this is something we'll, we'll touch on a lot more as we go on through episodes. I think things like that, my experience, there's this whole, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and a situation like that where you're interacting with... Uh, two other people that work for Sofa Sounds and then all the musicians and all the fans, mm. that's kind of... I mean, like I say, we'll, we'll come back to networking, but I think it's it's things like that that seem to be quite a big deal in the industry, getting to know people. And it's those contacts that will ultimately... I mean, my, in my experience working with bands and stuff, it's the contacts that you make through something like that where they link you to other people who link you to other jobs and stuff. I don't know about your experience. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and Sofa Sounds for me was fantastic for that. I, I missed a kind of big point at Sofa Sounds. Sofa Sounds as well, you buy a ticket it, and then you don't get given the gig venue until like 24 hours before if you've bought the ticket and then you don't know who's in the lineup until you get there. That's like the point. Oh, okay. it's, like, it's like a secret discovery show. What, what, for the... Um, 
For the audience, you mean? For the audience member, okay, yeah. Okay. So, Did, what, what about the band? Do they know where it is? Yeah, they'll know. Okay. They'll know a lot in advance, and okay, they, fine. they, they, they're allowed to publicize. I think they're allowed to publicize on their social medias where their gig's going to be because you buy for an area. So in London, for example, it's in loads of cities around the UK, but for London, you'd be like, I, you know, I bought a ticket for King's Cross, but okay. I know that Madupe, the artist, who's a brilliant singer, by the way, um, has posted on her social medias that she wants to do she's doing a sofa sounds on this date in that area it's like a fine fine, line it's not supposed to be that but i think people kind of get away with it anyway yeah i got the job with sofa sounds um way back to then try not to digress too much uh it it was great but i wanted a bit more work didn't really know what to do i managed to land myself really really fortunately a few wedding gigs which was great working for agencies and stuff like that from that that kind of led to some session work for a friend of mine who started working as a studio manager for a studio in acton um that was great done a bit of session work through that my online teaching really really grew did loads of gcse music teaching as well um to come christmas sort of time and it, then after that in january i i suddenly aimed to sort of like right i want to make quite a bit more of an income just to be stable in london because london's really expensive um and i was doing all right but i wasn't doing amazingly so i, I needed another job so i went into delivery driving for sainsbury's in central london which i my heart goes out to anyone who tries to do delivery driving in central london you literally just get shouted at eight hours in your shift and people crash into you yeah um which is fine if you you know maybe a bit thicker skin than me i don't know i would definitely do delivery driving again i wouldn't do it again in central london the job role itself is great but i would not do it in central london uh and then i got really lucky a guy i was playing in a band with at the time um offered me a role as a concierge so that that's been able to sort of like pay the bills alongside the music sort of stuff in that meantime as well i've set up my own wedding band which is great um i've joined a, an indie band called late night honeymoon and we've done a few things like all around we've played gigs pretty on average probably three or four a month mainly london and brighton place managed to play a few really really good festivals as well this summer which has been fantastic uh and again that one's fan like a really i was really lucky to sort of walk into that i met them at a sofa sounds they were playing we were talking about right. the networking opportunities that can happen out of that uh and then yeah in terms of music that's kind of the the scope of it so i've tried to stick my finger in quite a few pies and just sort of see which one looks like it, it, it it's going to be profitable and also which one's going to bring me the most enjoyment out of it because I'm well aware that a lot of people that want to go into music just want to write music. A lot of people yeah, sure. that want to go into music just want to play music. That's me. And a lot of people that go into music want to just produce music or just help people behind the scenes or manage music or there's so many different scopes into it. So it, it becomes quite difficult to sort of narrow out what, I think I'm good at and what I think my skill set lies in within the music industry because I think it it is an industry where if you try and become something that you're not if you try and like if I was to go and we we spoke a little bit about it earlier like if I was to consider myself like an A&R agent sure I know for a fact I am not an authentic A&R no 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 no, no. by any means I would get laughed out of any A&R meeting because I'm not that hyper passionate person that is willing to literally take an artist and hug them to death until they become famous that's like that's not me and i can't promise people that i'm too boring yeah sure (laughs) sure no i get that so i feel like finding that authentic route has taken a bit of time because i've looked at everything i could do this i could do that i could do that and then i've met people that do that and i tried to go down that avenue of of finding that way and then i've just met the people just gone you're miles away from who i am and who i can be you're like even to the point where I'm just 
from the complete wrong background for it. Yeah, see, I, I think you've touched on a really significant point here in the to to be that authentic self and to do that full time in music the, the reality sets in and this is what's recently set in for me having just finished uni what like two or three months ago mm. um you, you've got to make money and doing that thing that's authentic for yourself you don't necessarily come out of uni come out of school being able to do that straight away so for me a lot of the stuff that i like doing i'm really into like my prog metal and stuff i love playing playing that kind of stuff i play guitar um, and in an ideal world, I'd just write a bunch of prog metal and I'd be able to make a living off that. But unfortunately, there's a few people like Pliny, Polyphia, all that kind of stuff that, that do make a living off it. But it's only now that they're getting up to this level that they are making uh, a kind of living uh, from that. Now, I don't, I, I don't know what the figures are on the kind of amounts of money those guys make as basically virtuosic guitar players. But I am um, sure. I'm, I'm doubtful it's as much as you know the, vir- the um the virtuosic players of like the eighties like Steve Vai and Van Halen were making. Yeah, for sure, and I, I, I think that I mean I'm not I I like prod I like older prod personally. Yeah, sure. Um, and I like maybe the prod that you would consider very watered down and vanilla and, and rubbish in every way. Um, but, but but I think this is I, part of the problem. It's like my my authentic self is a niche. Your authentic self, you know, blues. Yeah, is, it's, it's very you know, niche if you it, get to my... It's niche. So so back to the point that you were making before, the reality is that you've you've gone and got out, gone and got a uh, concierge... How do you pronounce it? Concierge. Right, we're going to have a lot of this, um, <laughs> me mispronouncing things, and you, you, you've been doing that. Um, since I finished uni, um, I've had to get a job in, in retail just to be able to get that money in. Now, I think... I think the thing is with this, and lots and lots of people that we know that finished in your cohort and my cohort have had to do this, most people, in fact, because you can't afford to 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 do these creative things without some money behind you. There's obviously, you know, there are people who are very, who are very lucky and have a lot of uh, money behind them in families that are able to invest in that stuff. But it's like, you know, c- coming up, uh, co- me coming up to London to see this podcast today, uh, because there's rail strikes, I had to take a bus and it's cost me nearly 50 quid to get up here. I, I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't have, um, if I didn't have a job that I was able to to pull the money out of to be able to afford to do this and i'm sure it's the same for you living around and in london yeah yeah no ab- absolutely absolutely i think what it what it comes down to and again this kind of touches on the point of our podcast and, and sort of a lot of people that are creatives and we will go into when we get people on it and, and stuff like that more creative arts in, in a broader span obviously we're talking about music because our personal experience is, is music so yeah, we're sure. gonna we're gonna consider that but for for a lot of people the end goal like I said earlier, isn't clear from the initial degree that no. they did. I mean, I can go, I want to be a touring session musician. Yeah, but 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 what does that mean? Exactly. It, it, and how there's no, you don't leave university and then apply for a touring session musician role. You don't leave university and you email the right people and you get a touring no. session musician role. No. It doesn't work that way. The only people that get those jobs are the people that have done everything and they just ended up in that role in the yeah. end. Did, well, when you went to uni, because we're going to talk a lot about um, people who are maybe looking at going to study something like music, but all, you know, drama, art, like dance. Um, but when you went to uni, did you expect to leave um, and walk straight into that? Or were you a bit smarter? Because I definitely expected to go to uni, make all the connections I was going to need to launch into an industry. And you quite quickly learned that that's not the way it's going to be for you. Yeah, actually, this was a, a question I was kind of going to bring up to you. For, for me, I, I'm i quite a pessimistic person. 
um, from whether that's come from like my upbringing or whatever, I don't, it, I, I'm always very, I try and be as grateful as I can for any help that I get from people. Yeah, sure. And I didn't expect for one minute that I would walk out onto a world tour. No way. No, 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 no way in any, like in any kind of capacity. conversation would I no. think of that. Yeah. Capacity is a word. Um, I, I thought that the, the, the generally going into first year, my sort of plan in my head was right. I need to get much, much better at guitar. I need to get much, much better at being around people. And I, I want to get confident in big bands, like um, places that I wasn't comfortable in. Coming from like Indian rock bands before and blues bands and like the odd acoustic gig with pop artists, I wanted to then go to Union Experience playing in big bands in maybe a bit of sight reading here and there and reading chord charts because my aim was to then apply for cruise ship work, sure. go into cruise ship work and then see where I ended up after that. Now... How's that gone for you? Yeah, terribly. I've not bothered. But I, but then we we did have a two-year hiatus, which sort of destroyed the cruise line industry. Yeah. And I feel like coming out of uni last year in September, that industry wasn't still there. So I didn't really look into it or give it too much thought. I just sort of focused on the opportunities I had in front of me. And the opportunities I had in front of me have led me to where I am now. And I okay, where I am now, I look at cruise ship work and I can think, it, it, I'm I'm happy in the direction I'm going in currently. I don't really want to do that. But in terms of that's the level of musicianship I thought I would get from uni. Now, what's really weird is a lot of people say university is that point where you you don't get the support that you need and there's the attitude of do it yourself. I remember sitting around with a few friends like in first year and we were just sitting like outside where our student accommodation was and we were having this conversation of, this is the time in our lives and like all oh, this yeah bro of like where we you know we fall over but we pick ourselves back up and it's the people that pick ourselves back up that will keep going and keep going and then we'll we'll end up like really good at the end of this little process and no that's utter rubbish what it is is that the university give you facilities and show you how loads and loads of other people have done okay and this is quantifying success like some yeah. people th their idea of you know some people well it is success is to go and run a music venue for years and make a profit off that and some people's idea of success is you know like the lecturers at university were doing fantastically well for themselves anyway yep like that that's fantastic and it, it's just showing you all these different opportunities you've got but you've got to go and do it yourself and they're not going to cushion you or help you with job applications because the job applications don't exist like you go to a careers off advisor at school and they talk you through all the applications you can do for things but in the creative arts that's not a thing okay if you did art you could go into marketing but in, or in music i guess you could go into film music and do stuff like but most of that's freelance anyway yeah so it becomes incredibly difficult i mean what was your idea of did you find that our particular university gave you as much support as you felt you wanted throughout your course or were you looking for them to be a bit more hand on the shoulder stick you in a function band for the odd weekend here's a paid gig we've sort of set up for you um we work with this company but those companies i realized didn't exist at uni but did no. you expect that I, I don't think i expected that now uh, just to be clear we went to uh leeds conservatoire well it's now leeds conservatoire when we went it was called um elcom and um, I'm sure we're going to talk about that a lot. We're not really going to talk about other unis because we don't know what we're talking about with those. No. In terms no, of at, at um, Elcom, uh, no, I, I, I didn't expect to come out with with that level of it. But I kind of, I think, and this is very much only when I got there. Um, I, I like, like when I first got there, I mean, I expected, maybe expected is the wrong word, but I kind of, 
I sort of presumed that just being in, in that environment for the years that I was there would equip me with all of the skills that I needed to be able to step into the world with confidence. And I don't think that's the reality. Well, in, no, no, that isn't the reality. You, you step out with a lot of the skills. Um, and I think one of the most valuable things I came out of um, uni with was was contacts. Like, you know, we know countless drummers, guitarists, bass players, yeah, singers, producers, sure. and, and it's those connections. And, you know, you inevitably have, have a, a handful of those many um, that you keep very close to your uh, very close to your um, your heart and your hand with producers. Yeah, that they're, you the, use. they're the first people you're going to call when you need a drummer. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna call you know yeah whoever yeah, or, yeah well, which puts you in very 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 good standing for starting up projects. It's like yeah. you know um, you, you contacted me about about the idea of starting up a podcast. Um, you wouldn't have known me if you hadn't been to uni, and this is the kind no. of thing that I get really excited about and want to you know. I, and want to just do and make happen kind of yeah, as, absolutely. as quickly as possible. So th- those contacts are good. You get thrown into an environment full of people who are who have a common interest and um, the, the people that aren't um, sort of really wanting to stick with it get flushed out pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the time people that... Uh, it, it's, one of those, it's one of those weird ones where if you go and do invest in music at all like we're, we're not just talking about doing a degree no but no, if, no. if you just have a bash at music it, it's not going to come to anything you can't just have a flutter on it or have a flutter or i imagine any creative arts you can't just sort of dip your no. toe in because it, it does take a huge amount of dedication i think that the real interesting thing and um, we'll maybe move on to less philosophical points in a minute the really interesting thing that I think both of us sort of found out was both in our first years, the guitar lecturers that we had, the one-to-ones, like these are fantastic musicians, people that have studied. Oh, like, definitely some yeah. of the best guitarists in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly, and, and even when like I've been living in London now for ages, when I go around and do these sofa sound shows and I meet people that are jazz musicians and people that are really, really well-known, you know, people that are playing Ronnie Scott's. And you, oh, wow. You mention... Um, someone like Auric, or you mentioned particularly Yanis, and they're Yanis, like, oh, yeah. the guy that um, lectures at, at, at Leeds Conservatoire. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know Yanis. And they're like, oh, mate, he's amazing. Just He's yeah, just he's just brilliant. incredible. And and their kind of philosophy on it was when we sat down with them, I remember I, I had a jam. Like, I, was, I was getting paid before I went to university as a musician. I was yeah, getting yeah. paid as session work. I was playing in, like, you know, not huge audiences, but the odd 700 capacity gig, like, doing yeah. okay. And I thought, yeah, no, I, I've got this. And the musicians around me weren't, that much better but they were but they weren't hugely better and then you sit in a room with Ulrich and he goes let's just have a jam man let's just let's just figure out where you're at halfway through the jam he turns around and just goes stop playing no 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 we're, we're not going to do this you don't play you don't even practice what you've just played for at least the next year we're going to focus on the tech test because you just need to know so so much more before we can even consider playing together because I can't stand listening to your guitar yeah. playing and and then like drilling in that philosophy over the next few lessons of you have the ability to be good. You're clearly musical, but it's going to take you 20, 30 years before you are the standard this of is, me. This is exactly what I said. You were clearly better than I was when I first, when I first got that. I had Yanis as, um, as my teacher in, uh, in that first year. And we did almost exactly the same thing. He, uh, he let me play a bit and, and he just said, um, he just said in, you know, in 40 years time, maybe you'll be as good as me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and and that kind of thing when you first, when when you get to a place like Elcom um, and loads of the other places in the UK and and in the US, um, 
I think you, you go in feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah. Um, and you and very quickly lose that. <laughs> they, they've, uh, they've seen it all before. Yeah. And they, uh, yeah, they're, they're quite happy to um, to kind of break you down. But, but I think we, uh, I needed that. I think you needed that. I definitely and it, needed um, that, yeah. And then what it does is it, that kind of, uh, in all fairness, that's pretty, that feeling, now that you've said it, is pretty similar to what I'm feeling now, having stepped out of uni into the world. I kind of yeah. came out of uni being like, oh, I've got a degree in music, you know, Ooh, <laughs> like, you know, going to make it, going to make it. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, and and once again, I've got the world sort of saying, you know, um, there's a lot more work to do. Mm. Um, and I, I know we've said this a couple of times now. Again, the point of this podcast is that we're. It almost feels like we're starting, starting now. Yeah, um, it, 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 it's like when you um, when you learn to drive. You know, you do the learning bit with your teacher, but you learn to pass a test and then you get kicked into the real world. And you're in a car on your own. Yeah, and you nearly crash. I, I, that's when you actually start. That's when you actually start learning. Yeah, um, oh, it's so funny. I remember I got I got my um, I got my driving license. Maybe I don't know whatever. I was lucky. I passed first time, but it was like six months after um, I turned seventeen. Um, and then I remember like distinctly driving up the road, and my next door neighbour like passed me coming the other way. He was coming back from work, and he like waved at me. And I took my hand off the wheel and waved it, yeah. and I literally ran up a curb. I was like, <laughs> and like again, not to be all metaphorical. <laughs> But it feels a lot like that at the moment because you've got this, you know, you're left with this responsibility and it's, it's a responsibility of self and, you know, and what you're going to do next. And there's so many neighbours waving at you. You know, you, you've got, a lo- I'm very lucky. My family aren't trying to stop me doing this stuff. I know lots of people who have pressure from their families to, to kind yeah, of do absolutely. something a little bit more um, reliable, corporate. corporate. Yeah. Um, but but you know you, you still I'm still getting uh, you know the, even like the retail job I'm doing at the moment I'm making more money doing that than I am for music yeah. and uh, and it's that it's it's that kind of stuff that I think can really force you to take your hand off the wheel and uh, and then you lose control yeah potentially 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 but I, I it's, uh, again the, the 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 roads you'll go down will will probably like distinguish you from what you thought you wanted to do to where you you want to go but obviously we won't drill into too much philosophy but yeah no it it, it's good but that's what we've kind of done over i've done over the last year you've done over the last couple of months since sort of graduating in terms of like you were saying with 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 wings you were playing little festivals about which festivals were they that you managed to so we played um a couple of weeks we played deerstock up in nottingham uh and then in a couple of weeks time bank holiday weekend we're playing a, a festival called um Breedy Farm Fest, which is down in is Dorset in, in, in okay. the forest. Um, now, I really like playing these little festivals. Mm-hmm. There's something there's something about them where you kind of because there's lots and lots and lots of different bands there, but it's all it's still quite small scale. You get to meet a lot of people, and I feel like I think that the the musician side of those can be quite intimate. Um, over the course of a week, I don't know what your experience is. Those those really sort of really small ones. What what sort of capacity are we are I, we talking? I, I, I'm not talking tiny. It had you know it, it had three stages, but two of the stages, the main stage and the secondary stage, were held within um, within the same tent. I think it camped 300 and capacity was I think capacity was 3,000. I think they had about 1,500 to 2,000 people a day. I think I. That's good. That's really good. I don't know. I. That that's always I love those kind of stage setups where you've got 
two stages on the on in one tent or in one area, yeah. and you derig one where you set up the other, and then set the other one up, and then derig one and set one other where the other one's playing. Like, it, it works the, so flash. The, and the reason it works well, I, I think, is because you have your bands on the main stage, who people mm. are all there to see, um, and, and those are the bands they've heard of. But then it means that the bands on the second stage don't just get missed. It's it, like especially it at these smaller really festivals. You know, if, if you go somewhere like Reading. Th- those smaller stages have got just as many people there because there's there's enough there's enough there's nowhere to go at Reading. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's, there's nowhere to go at Reading. On that note of kind of festivals, have you ever thought about because something I considered and I know um, a really good friend of mine's family have, have recently set it up, but have you ever considered setting up a festival? So th- this is something I've thought about as well. I think you're going to need land. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you you're gonna need land and you're gonna need money behind it. Um, I think it'd be a brilliant thing to do, but actually, the festival um that I played the, the other week through friends of friends and stuff, we um we sort of knew the um the, the people that run that that festival and uh, you know and they're a lovely family. I got, got to speak to them um on a couple of occasions, but they've already scaled it up to that. I mm. think they've been doing it for about ten years. Yeah, you know. Glastonbury started as a you know in a farmer's field. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, Evesham, yeah. How? I I mean I've got no idea of the the sort of finances behind it. You know, if, if, I mean, look, if anybody's listening, um, and you've uh, and you've tried, you've set up a garden festival or anything like that. Um, it'd be really interesting to hear a bit about the logistics, the costs, that sort of side of things. Mm. I, I suppose I'd I'd love to do it. I think it'd be, you know, in all fairness, I can 100% see now while while I'm on the uh, on the train bus, bus because they're all on strike. Yeah. Um, o- on the way home, I'm going to conjure up this, uh, you know, th- th- this very romanticised ideal of starting a starting a festival and it growing in something massive, and I can just have all my friends and everything every year. Yeah. Um, but I d- I don't know how you scale that up. See, I know, <sighs> no is a loose. Well, I da- I know I know very very well. <laughs> You've encountered, uh, yeah, encountered is a better one. So I I know very very well two people that run two different festivals. Okay, um, some girls I used to play music with at college, their mum, and then through playing music with them, um, I was introduced to the guy that also ran this festival. Um, it called Glass Denberry. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> this is an award-winning festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but genius. Because the person giving out the award what, was uh, the person giving out the award was I'll dyslexic. Blow, I'll blow your mind. My favorite like TV. <laughs> we're all dyslexic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah my, we are. So huh? both. Um, with, with my, I'll blow your mind. Right, I. Um, it was the World Cup year that I was. We were right. playing, and it was uh, me, my really good friend Ben, these two um, uh, identical twin sisters, Alice and Kit. They're lovely. Cool. We were playing this little acoustic gig, and it was the fir- the act on before um, us, and then there was a break in the middle of the festival. Where everyone went and watched the football because it was a World Cup, yeah. Uh, Classic. But the act before that was Basil Brush, so technically Basil Brush opened for us. I was well excited about that. You were supported by. <laughs> but how old were you? Uh, I was eighteen. There's a flex. I, I, th- th- that's how you start your. Um, that's how you start your email when you're trying to get someone's attention. I was supported. Like, hi, I was supported by Basil Brush when I was 18. Oh, I was so yeah, then, yeah, exactly. I was so over the moon. So like my like I, my mum will embarrass me to the nth degree about how much of an obsession of Basil Brush I had when I was like six. 
Um, yeah, but they, they, they run these festivals and then like, I've got, uh, that festival's done brilliantly well, like award winning. I, I'm not even gonna estimate like costs or overheads cause I just simply don't know. No, I've never fine. asked. I do not know them well enough to think of that. We in are that way. very prepared. Very prepared. Well, it's rude as well without the permission to go on and start talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, again, some friends have a festival that I've, I've played at that festival a few times. Friends of ours have a brilliant little festival called On the Road Festival where uh, our other flatmate, Jacob Maloney, is going to be making an appearance at this oh, year. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll have him on here. <laughs> that would be great. Um, Jacob Maloney, so you don't know, is a guy we live with at uni. He's a good, he's a brilliant keyboard player and, and film music composer. But um uh, yeah, they, they set up this little festival and they, they got really lucky. The farm was like really, really into it. It's on their land, his land, and it, it, it's grown and grown and grown. And it's sort of headhunted by uh, another friend of theirs who does most of the bookings because she is, has been a successful musician for years and years and years. And that's Amy Newton. Uh, and cool. she's she's wonderful. Um, and she does most of the bookings for it. Uh, but this year they've got some really good acts playing. They've got some little local acts they've tried to kind of inject into it. But I know for a fact they haven't upscaled it that much this year. Because, Is that because of COVID? Not because of COVID. Last year was they the first time since COVID they ran it again. And it was huge success. Like such a brilliant, brilliant festival. And that's because they didn't oversell it. Sure. They, they, they have their numbers for... I, I, again, I'm not going to go too much into details that I'm not 100% sure on, but they have a license for like five, 6,000 people to get in this field right. and they only sell about 2,000 but, tickets. But, but that, that that makes a lot of sense to me because it's like if you've... Um, wait, how, how am I going to say this? If, if you've got a capacity potentially of 6,000 people mm. um, and you try and sell 6,000 tickets and you design like like the, the actual layout, the geography of your festival is designed for 6,000 people and you don't yeah. sell 6,000 tickets, that feels like a dead empty festival. Yeah, absolutely. You, so, so you're almost better, I think, to like, you know, if last year you sold, you sold like uh, 3,000 tickets, mm. build that festival for 3,000 people or maybe even less yeah. or maybe a few more if you're confident that, that more people are going to come because that way then you've got a packed festival i, I mean you, you you might disagree please uh i don't particularly disagree i think growing it's more and definitely having the the word sold out on any festival even if it's just a local community festival does wonders for yeah. anything and it's a marketing dream isn't it you always yeah, say yeah. oh tickets are nearly running out for our gig well, they might not be but you've got to say well, it. Well, 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 well when that appears on facebook instagram even even through word of mouth that's when people panic yeah that's, you know and that, that's when people instead of just buying a, a ticket for them and their partner mm. they buy four tickets yeah, because exactly. because they're like oh, they're selling out. you know oh my god they're selling out you know yeah. oh yeah well, you know well, We'll get Dave and Jenna to come. Not, not those are names of people we know. That's why I picked them. Dave and Jenna. Uh, yeah, no, I completely understand. It's, it's for people that want to go. That's normally what helps for people that are already umming and ahhing about going to that gig. Or that, oh, they, they saw it with their friends. Oh, I'd really like to go to that festival because it's only down the road. Like, say, with, like if it's in Devon, we're doing a season working in a pub and surfing. Oh, we could have like a little, we go to that festival at the end of the season. And then they've kind of like backminded it. And then they see, oh, it's selling out. And then that prompts them to go to go buy a ticket, which is great. I think bringing it back to sort of the idea of coming out of or wanting to brand, uh, go into the, the creative arts industry by setting up a festival, it becomes That's ambitious. It becomes so difficult so quickly when you really consider the overheads. You've got to book security, you've got to book stages, sound engineers, you've got to book bands, you've got to make sure that there are enough facilities for everyone there, you've got to put the the beer in you've got to find sponsorships for all of this like i think for like a yeah. I, i'm not again i'm not going to estimate the cost because i've not tried it because i looked at it and just went there's no way that i'm prepared and then for the the 
six months leading up to it, everyone who I've spoken to that runs a festival has spent the six months looking up to it, just looking at spreadsheets, looking at spreadsheets, thinking, right, when that act finishes, we're going to file the crowd here. And it's literally like crowd control. We're going to sweep that area. Mm. And these are on tiny little festivals. And that all costs your money and your time that you're you're definitely not going to earn back once you set it up. Yes, it's a fantastic way to network. Yes, it's a fantastic way to get yourself out there. Oh, you know, you know, Tristan and Will, they're the ones that run the open back festival yeah. or, or something like that. But I think if you haven't got a huge oh, backing look, in the first there's place. There's a dream. Yeah, there's a dream. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it seems so logistically like a nightmare. They're fantastic things to play, these small okay, festivals. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, this is what I was about to say. I think this is this hits the nail on the head. If, if, you're, if you're starting out or like, by starting out, I mean, like, I'm, you know, you, you may have still played hundreds of gigs. You, yeah. you know, you might be very, very good at what you do, but you're not yet ready to, to do something like build a festival. Uh, I think you can reap a lot of the benefits of small festivals, like the intimacy that I was talking about, you know, the networking that you were saying about, mm. Um, you can get those benefits from going and playing them. Okay, do you think it's better, though, to play a small festival or a big festival? I'm sure it's a split. Pros and cons. Yeah, I'm going to really annoy you by tearing that question apart. It's brilliant to play a small festival with big names. Uh, Okay. That is Uh, the best thing to do. Yeah, fine. (laughs) Is that because... But but surely that's only worth doing if the big names are... um, a band similar to yours because it, it, it if like i was to play a festival like a festival with an indie band for example and billy eilish was headlining i've got a load of people in that audience that quite frankly aren't are, you know are, are, yeah i get that may or may not be interested in what we're absolutely. doing absolutely absolutely um i yeah maybe that's the nature of the festival itself then i i'm i've got specific festivals in my mind when i say that pacific yeah not pacific um i've got yeah which is a mistake i would definitely (laughs) i've got very obvious like images coming to my mind of the festivals that i mean and and maybe some of the opportunities that have like popped up um i think again with these with the bigger festivals you're going to be on a smaller stage and you're not going to be in the area that really helps you network other than with people that are in the same size as you so say you get booked to play Isle of Wight, but you get booked by a London promoter to play Isle of Wight. Again, sure. I'm not going to name which promoter it is, but a promoter does run stages at Isle of Wight and Track Festival and stuff like that. Say so you did that. You're just going to be stuck on a bill with people that you're going to go and play the Nambuka the next week with. Yeah, It's going to be the same thing. Yeah, okay, you have fun and you you know have a few drinks together and you go and explore the rest of the festival, but you're not, in, you're not backstage on the main no. stage. Um, and... Therefore, I think that the smaller festivals with the with with maybe the artists that maybe suit you would would be better as well. I find the thing the thing with festivals I find really difficult. And now it, it's much easier for me. But definitely when I was 17, 18, 19 and I started playing festivals, I found them way too overstimulating for someone who's new to the music industry because then normally you're there with your best friends you're there with your bandmates you're there with the artists you're playing for you're there trying to make a good impression but you're also let's be honest the music industry is really clean a lot of people like drinking a lot of people like drugs yeah drugs everything like that they like experimenting they like enjoying themselves a lot and you're very open to a lot of that now i never really went i never at all went down the the drug path but i did always enjoy a drink um, and that did lead me to some rather, you know, embarrassing moments with networking, which I think were negative. Well, maybe not negative is the right word, but 
Like, the, yeah, they, they didn't help you out in that moment. They didn't help me out in that moment. Um, and I, fortunately for me, it's never been detrimental because the people that maybe I, I made a bit of a fool of in front of myself by being a bit too drunk and a bit too loud or yeah. trying to push myself into a position too hard yeah um didn't come back around because I, I knew them so I saw them like two weeks later yeah sure um and that was really really lucky and then also you feel it depends who you're it, it, if you're if you get booked say to play a, a small and up-and-coming festival I haven't got any particular in mind but around the outskirts of London and you know that you're going to be in the same backstage area as like a really brilliant artist yeah who do you go and talk to in that band well we, we, well th this is this is what I was getting from what you what you were saying. When you do a, like a small gig, mm. you feel special. Yeah, like, of course. Like, like, you know, you, you you're there. You're you're one of maybe a dozen like a, a dozen people who are like in the band that night. Yeah. And then you go and do a small festival, and you are not special. You know, no. especially at that age, you, you know, and and you don't get particularly treated like you're special either. No, you sort of you know the you know the the sound guys are there to do a job. They you know the, 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 they want to get you on and off. Mm. as efficiently as possible um I'm, I'm not saying they're rude at all but but they've got a job to do so when you're in that backstage space you you don't quite i don't think you feel in my experience you don't feel how you expected to feel you're not stood in that backstage space in that backstage space thinking that you are you know you know you're, you know i'm the man i'm gonna go and chat to this guy and you know and, and he's gonna get me a world tour you know uh, for me when you're backstage you're not in that headspace no no i i, I completely agree with you with with that i find that often bands that are ahead of you um right i'm not i'm not going to use someone's specific names but i spent a, a a long time with this this guy who's done really really well for him in the music industry right. and he was in a band in the 90s he's done, he's done well for himself oh yeah fantastically yeah, well um and he was in a band in the 90s that did huge huge world tours okay. um they were they were signed but this was back in the day where he described it to me as you can read a book on signing a record deal go and do everything in that book and you get a record deal. Now that doesn't work today. No, he he said now. specifically, this does not work today. You, I don't know how you do it today. It's really impossible, but... Um, <laughs> there you go, there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, and, uh, but anyway, he got chatting to him, but he said often these people that were in the Hyatt bands came and found him and I found it quite similar. They, they were all there for like, especially in a festival situation, if they're there to enjoy the festival, sometimes they've got to run off to other affairs, that's fair enough, but sometimes they're there, they want to see the headline artists or they want to see... You're the, you know they want to have breakfast the next day and just cramp overnight they're on tour like they've got to stay they, they want to enjoy themselves so often they just look for people that are just nice to them and people that maybe don't hug them too much yeah. and and just want to you know have a few drinks with them have a few like chats or whatever and, and and then just enjoy the night and then move off and that's the best way i think that the organic networking comes through coming back to this bloke that was uh, was playing in this band and he was backstage at tea in the park and he gets a knock on the door and it was taylor hawkins it was before foo fighters days so taylor at this point is just a session musician like he's just a session drummer okay and he his like technique on networking i kind of drew from the story that the guy was telling me was he just went and partied with everyone he could possibly find like he was knocking on doors he was just going oh you you um you guys got any weed or like oh, really right he was just using yeah. that kind of side. you guys you guys got any beer like oh do you mind if i um do you mind if i just sit and have a chat and then he would only be there for maybe 45 minutes they'd sit there get a, a bit drunk a uh, bit high whatever together and then he'd just leave and then he'd just go off and he'd yeah. find someone else to go and talk to someone else to chat to he'd literally just spread himself so thin over the time he had in these festivals and it, it makes you think is obviously it became worked for him yeah well it became 
probably in his time the, the most famous drummer ever and obviously uh, my favorite drummer probably growing yeah. up by, by a long 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 way um i was very very fortunate to see few fighters a couple of times but um yeah maybe that way of of doing it but obviously you've got to have quite a lot of tolerance well, it, to a lot of yeah, things it, it, it's hard because like for me i'm i'm not into the drug thing no, um, l- l- you know l- like you i um you know i'm quite happy to have a drink and stuff but that in those scenarios that can it can feel detrimental you know if you're yeah. at a festival and the guys that you want to chat to are all sitting around smoking weed or something and uh, you know and you're not into that it makes that quite a hard situation to enter you know like yeah. like, like, like i've got friends who are into it you know and they can go over and they're like oh you know can, you know can i join in and yeah. and that's there and when you don't have that i think that can be quite I, 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 yeah I, I can think of social situations after or around gigs where i've maybe felt a little bit more not alien it's not alienated by the people but like i've isolated myself out of a networking opportunity which is a horrible way to feel i think that yeah, and this is this was the main point i wanted to bring up about festivals and networking at club gigs and networking in general from going out and being part of the music industry and that's the biggest thing over the last year i struggle with because i don't take drugs i have been alienated so much i think once you break through a level maybe it'll change but i don't know from experience from what certainly what i've heard no it, it right. doesn't change um but obviously everyone's themselves and everyone's different we're not saying everyone in the music industry is a pothead or, or, or needs to be to make connections no of course not you can be but but maybe you know to, i got to a point i'm i'm better now but i was really uncomfortable around people smoking weed for quite a while and i felt very nervous going into the music industry thinking that well if i say yes to go and record on this famous producer's album like a one-off one in a million chance i get really lucky which i haven't been but um, yeah hopefully um but yeah say i got a call or i met a guy at a gig and he goes oh tomorrow yeah come round, come round, and we'll uh i want you to record on becky hill's latest track i just want you to record some acoustic guitar and you'll be written in the my biggest fear and the first thing that used to come into my head was what if i go round and he's just smoking weed in the whole studio's hotbox like because i don't want to be in that room yeah. I'd, and if I don't want to then turn around to him and go, sorry, mate, can I open a window? Like, can I come back here in like 30 minutes? Just when like the, like the clouds have like cleared out and him just go, what, what get lost. Well, yeah, well, 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 and that, yeah. that's a huge point of anxiety. I know everyone has stage fright and, um, and different anxieties that sort of trickle into it. But I, for a long time thought maybe I'd be more useful in the commercial side of the music industry because as an artistic point of view, I didn't feel like, that one person in 10 can make me feel uncomfortable in a room with that one person in 10 is just feeling relaxed which sucks and it shoots your um it shoots your confidence to go into these things yeah i think think it did and honestly i was super super paranoid about it and i've been really lucky that the the studio sessions i have had have been you know it's not professional it's not not professional to do that by any means i mean look at snoop dogg (laughs) but it's uh it it, it was a real anxiety point, but I haven't found it to be too detrimental really so far, which is which is super, super nice and really kind of reassuring. But I know, especially from a festival perspective, um, it it might become more of an issue the more time you spend around these kind of environments. Because then it's it's the, the festival goer as well, not just the artist, it's, it's everyone around you because you've just got such a, a huge merge of people, which is fantastic. But I, I personally might feel slightly uncomfortable in some of these environments that's something that 
you know, is the reason that I shied away from a few different things. I mean, it's an interesting point. When I mean, what do you find in that situation? Like these smaller festivals, obviously, they're they're involving a lot of yeah. Yeah, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff going on at them, and it's and 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 that intimacy with people is is great. But I do think that things like yeah, so if if you feel uncomfortable in a situation, it's it, you know it's going to be hard to network to the best of your capacity, and it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, and we're using networking in quite a a corporate word there i think networking is just having a chat literally making friends (laughs) yeah um look i think we spoke about quite a lot of um bits and bobs today yeah Um, so i'm gonna do the bit that i've been dreading um we're hoping to do one of these um every week maybe a couple of weeks ultimately we we want to pull uh we want to pull some people in that are maybe a bit older than us and have done some uh, more bits we want to learn from them and we want to share that information uh with you guys hopefully hopefully there's there's some of you someone listening um so look here we go uh if you're watching here on youtube or if you're on um, apple podcast spotify like subscribe please comment your thoughts um any of that stuff it's it's going to help us at this early stage to kind of get this to kind of get this out there and i really hope we're able to touch on some some things that you guys relate with and in our search of success basically i hope we can help you guys so you know thank you very much for listening yeah thank you um and yeah this has been open back Yeah. yeah see you next time see you next time